Hey, this is JJ Matat. I'm the worship pastor at Jubilee, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope it ministers to your heart and allows God to speak right to you. If you would like to know more about our church, visit jfc.org. Enjoy the message. We are in a pandemic of fatherlessness. In America alone, 18.3 million children live without a biological step or an adoptive father in the home. The ramifications of being fatherless are severe and often irreparable. Children who grow up without a father encounter higher rates of poverty, abuse, and neglect. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, commit crimes, and go to prison. But restoration is on the horizon. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5 declares that God is a father to the fatherless. He draws the orphan to himself and writes them in his glorious lineage. Children of God, fatherless, no more. Wow. Good night, huh? Yeah, really good night. Glad that you're here um, in a series called Fatherless No More, obviously, and I believe it's a word in due season for right now and um, for what's going to take place tonight and tomorrow. Um, interesting, just, you know, I was worshiping and thinking about what was being uh, sung and prophesied and what was going to be taught and just thinking about, um, it's a little ironic that I get the opportunity to teach the message because it's, you know, my background is not growing up and maybe that's what makes it more, I was going to say my background was not growing up with a father in place constantly, right? There were three fathers uh, in my life. The biological one abandoned the family. The second one was a great man who adopted me but was killed when I was 11 in a car accident and then in a, in a, a bad rebound situation from two devastating uh, emotional places. My mom met a guy who was an alcoholic and was a physically abusive man. He used his fists to express, um, you know, his... That was his way of dealing with problems or his way of dealing with uh, good times, um, you know. And so it just to have that and then to have God rescue me out of that. And so I should be a statistic. And I'm, I'm the living proof that God is more powerful than any statistic that this world has. Uh, you know, we're not stuck with... We, just because we didn't get something by a pedigree doesn't mean that's how we have to live our lives or that that's how we have to, um, you know, put that onto somebody else. It, the truth of the matter is I'm a great dad and you can give what you didn't have, right? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So maybe it's ironic to be able to teach this message because maybe it's not what I knew uh, via an example that I just had in front of me, but it is what I know because God has superseded all of those things that I didn't get in the natural that way. And this really comes from a wheelhouse in my life. I love to teach uh, that we're fatherless no more. I, I love to teach the father heart of God. Maybe it's just so important to me and what it's done for me that teaching it to my church, and you may sit out there and think, I never struggled with an earthly father. I never had that, that issue whatsoever. 
bless God for that, right? I mean, praise God for that. But can I just say to you that even that can be helpful in helping us to like quickly see God in that way. But no matter if it was good or bad this way, always you want it to be right this way. Get it this way and everything else will work out in this, this manner right here. So uh, we'll do communion in a little while. David and Kathy Melson will be leading us through that tonight. So hang on to the elements and uh, we'll jump in and, and, and teach this. I want to show you three pictures though real quickly and connect you to something. Um, if you go to Jubilee, if you're not visiting, you go to Jubilee, we're in the middle right now of a campaign for our future home. And this year we'll be meeting in that home and um, by just the direction of the Holy Spirit and where we are, we know that building uh, is over here on Nichols, close to where uh, the Ikea is. And so we're gonna bring a lot of business to that part of, uh, <laughs> they're gonna be real grateful that we're moving in over there. So, um, I, I, so I'm gonna show you three pictures. The first one is what the building looks like right now because I know some of you have been driving by it and I know that when you see it right now, you question like, pastor, is that gonna work for us? It's gonna work out awesome for us. Uh, and in the coming weeks, I'll show you architect renderings inside of the building, which is even better. So this is what it looks like right now. It's just this red brick building. These next two pictures are conceptual pictures, okay? Conceptual means it's a, it's a conception. It's not a written in stone. It may look like this. It may not look like this, but it won't look like that. How about that right there? So, so go, to that, go to that next one. So this is just an idea of what it looks like. So they put that, you know, uh, just, just, uh, it, just to change the outside of it to look more like a church. And then the next one gives a little bit closer uh, rendering of it right there. So um, it's 75,000 square feet. It's a plenty big building. Sanctuary will seat a thousand people uh, inside of that. But it better than that is that the, um, um, what do you call it? The what? The no, the outside part. What is lobby? Yeah, but lobby's kind of like the sloppy word for it. What's the, what's the other? Foyer. Thank you. Could not get the word out of my head. Foyer. Foyer. The foyer uh, will be uh, if you added this room and our smaller foyer. If you added them both together, that's the side of the foyer in the new building. So. What, what we've asked the architect, what we, uh, what we want to communicate and where I feel like we haven't communicated well because of the size of our building and running multiple services, generally, um, sometimes we actually do say this and, and um, the feeling is that we don't want you to hang out much when it's over. Like, hey, we've got another service to go or we're deep in deficit on time right now. And so even though we have a coffee bar, it's never like, let's hang out and be there, right? So I said, here's what we wanna communicate with the architecture, that we want people to hang out and we want people to get to know each other and we want to have areas where people can sit and talk and where it can be used multi-purpose that way. So that's the whole idea behind what they're gonna design and what it's going to look like. And uh, he's working on that right now and Pastor Todd is working hard on um, getting us that contract. We have the letter of intent right now, but working hard on getting the contract. Hopefully next week, all right? Hopefully put you on the spot there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw it, you're like, yeah. <laughs> Remember I said, hopefully, hope, hopefully next week. Todd, we're going to have it next week, right? Okay. Um, so be able to hopefully announce that uh, next weekend. So uh, just to give you some more ideas and we'll, we'll uh, um, once we're in contract two, I will, I'll do some type of an open house over there so you can come over and see it, see what it looks like. And then we'll have, I'm going to have the architect build 
a smaller model of what it'll look like, right? So that when you come in here, you can walk around it, you can point to it. I just think that helps to be able to see it. They also do 3D renderings now where they can walk you through the building before it's ever even uh, built. It's actually a pretty cool thing that they can uh, do. And those things are real cheap. So we'll have them. <laughs> we'll have that done. It will help. But I'll do an open house over there. And um, maybe what we can do is have food trucks and do something after church where we can gather and spend some time. I think you'll, you'll enjoy that. So, um, yeah, and we do feel, um, you know, at this knowing everything that we know right now, right? And that's, that's always a little bit tricky, but knowing everything that we know right now, uh, meeting in that in the fall, is, it, it's in line and it's, uh, it's on time. Now, stuff happens, right? But that's, uh, that's what we're shooting for. So uh, that will be a, that'll be a really good day. Okay, uh, fatherless no more. First John chapter three, verse one, the first part of that verse, there's two parts to it. The first part is what we're looking at. Uh, so John writes these really powerful words. Now remember, this is the John that said, um, you know, he's the beloved. He's the one that Jesus loved more than the other ones. So his concept and his idea of seeing Jesus as a friend and as, as God as father, he, he is in that place. And so he writes from that really good place. See what great love the father has lavished on us. And we talked about that a little bit last week, that word lavished is, it's a particularly encouraging, uh, you know, it's just this all out, all in, go for it type of love. So see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And then that sentence, and that is exactly what we are. I love that because in my mind, it, it, look, identity is always that thing. We're always, we were made for identity. We're made for a purpose. We're not here by accident. We're made to worship. We're made to connect. And this right here is like the most foundational, fundamental thing that every believer has to have right. We're children of God. He loves us lavishly and everything else stripped away or everything else built Built on it, we are children of God. It's a bottom line, man, and He loves us lavishly. We'll never outgrow that. We'll never get away from that. We'll never get to a point where, okay, hey, we know that, and so let's move on. That's the milk. Let's move on to the meat. Listen to me. This is the meat right here. It's the most important thing to always know about God. You are His child, and He loves you lavishly. And that is always what the enemy is always trying to bring into question is how God feels about us. When things happen, it's so easy to point to outcomes, right? Or, or in between outcomes and go, hey, look, this is how God is feeling about me. Don't ever connect those two things together. Never draw a straight line between an event and God being unfaithful to you, right? Don't do that. Don't, don't get in that place. Always, always hold God in the esteem that he's your father. He loves you lavishly and we are his children. Okay, this, this story, we're going to talk about the prodigal today. And I know, um, you know, maybe you're thinking back, did we teach on that recently? Pastor Terry actually did teach on the prodigal when we were doing um, uh, the teachings of Jesus at the end of uh, 2020 and did a fantastic job on it. And in the last 23 years, I, I know I've taught on it two or three different times. So you're like, hey, I think we've learned all there is to know about the prodigal. I don't think so. Right? I don't, I don't think that. I think like the, the Bible is magnificent in that each story, if you'll spend the time in it, can teach you so many things from so many different ways. And I had a friend when I was a youth pastor, I had this other guy that graduated the same time I did and we started roughly at the same time. And I remember we were like four years into the ministry and he calls me one day and said, I need you to pray for me. I said, well, his name was Brent. What's going on, Brent? And he said, I've preached everything there is to preach in the Bible. 
Yeah, that's, that's what he told me. I preached everything there is to preach in the Bible at four years, right? Four years. I'm like, what are you going to do? I don't know. That's why I need you to preach. You know, so I just, uh, he was in a bad place spiritually. So I would say this just real quickly. If you ever get to that place where you feel like I know everything there's to know with that, I bet you're not in a great place spiritually. Because I think when you're in a good place spiritually, you're always hungry. You're always open. You can always be taught, right? You're impressionable and you're, you're moldable and you're, you're hungry. So I, I just say that uh, in this case, uh, yes, we've taught on this before. I'll read it to you in a moment. Here's where I'm going to take it today. Whenever the prodigal is taught, it's always taught from the prodigal's point of view. And maybe rightfully so, but we never consider the father's point of view. And the father had two sons that he dealt with in that story. And he was really good in the way he treated both sons. And I just thought, you know, we're talking about fatherless no more in the father heart of God. So I thought I would talk about the father's point of view, dealing with a prodigal and dealing with a son that he wasn't prodigal in his body, but he was prodigal in his heart, yeah. right? He was there, but he wasn't really with his father. So we'll just talk about that real quick. So it's Luke 15. Um, it's uh, a few verses. Let me read them here to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. Um, now, so uh, to go further, he's already had two illustrations about uh, losing something and finding something. So the first one is uh, the lost sheep, right? He says that there's a there's hundred sheep, one wanders off. What does the good shepherd do? He leaves the 99 to go get the one. And then the next one is the widow who loses the coin. She has 10 coins, she loses one coin, and she sweeps the house and looks diligently for it. And when she finds the coin, it must have been so special, she calls everybody to celebrate with me. So either she didn't have a lot, and that was it, or it was special, or it was just, it was just magnificent that God did something for her. But she was like, come celebrate with me. And then all of a sudden, we move into this part right here. So all three uh, in this particular chapter, all three are teaching about loss and recovery loss and recovery. And the picture here is that God is all for restoration. God celebrates over restoration. All three stories are people who celebrate when they find the lost thing, right? Okay. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, this is uh, weird to me. I want my share of your estate now before you die. I... Yes. How many of you would know what to say to your son if he ever, <laughs> which yes, I mean, I don't like, I don't, this guy is so magnanimous. Like, okay, son, I would be like, you want, come over here. Let me give it to you. <laughs> uh, so a man had two sons. The younger said to his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Uh, so his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, uh, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Uh, some translations say profligate uh, living, which is just to spend it on horrible things. In this case, uh, what we know from other translations and what it talks about is he spent a lot of it on prostitutes. So just wasted his money, right? So he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time that his money ran out, right? Here's, here's proverbial. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods, the slop, that he's feeding the pigs look good to him. You know you're hungry when. Yeah. Right? You've, you've fallen a long way. Yeah. But no one gave him anything. 
when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, so he prepares this speech, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he practices this speech. Maybe he wrote it down. He's got it memorized, but he returns home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. It gives us the idea that the father didn't chase the son, but he was looking for the son. And it doesn't tell us exactly how long this time frame is. Is it a year? Is it two years? Is it three years? Is it five? Don't know for sure. Probably a year or two would be my guess. Because I bet he went through the money relatively fast. And then maybe his pride held out as long as he was hungry. But at some point, the Bible says he comes to his senses. And maybe there's a little indication of how we pray for wayward people. Let them come to their senses. Do you know that the Bible says we're to pray that they would escape the deception of the devil. And do you know that's the problem when a person is away from God? They are deceived. So we try and we speak and we talk and we, we're trying to prove, 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 prove. But when you're deceived here, no amount of proof is enough. What needs to happen is that God has to break through the deception. So what we pray is, may they come to their senses. What does that mean? To, to become aware again of how good God is, right? To become aware that he's there waiting. Not angry and not in judgment, but looking forward to your return. So filled with love and compassion. I don't know why that, every time I read it, it gets me, but filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. Do you think that was what the son thought was going to happen? Here he, he rehearses this entire speech, right? I've sinned against you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please forgive me and just give me a job as one of your servants. I'll work really hard. You know me. The dad did know him. You're my son. Filled with compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And his son began his speech. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, it's just like he ignored his son, huh? Just didn't even give him a chance to finish his speech. His father turned to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was really joyful that his brother came home. <laughs> the older brother was angry and wouldn't go inside. So the younger one gets called the prodigal, but I would say to you that the older one is as much a prodigal as the younger one is. He just never left. His heart is far away from his father, far away from his family. Hmm. His father came out. So in both pictures, the father's pursuing the sons, right? You see it? His father came out and begged him, 
But he replied, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And then the story ends there. We don't know. Like we hope, but it's kind of left up to our own imagination, maybe our own experience or maybe what we hope happened. So when I read this story, I just thought about this time, I would talk about it from the father's point of view, how the father saw it, what the father was thinking. Because I really do think, if you ask yourself, why is this story in the Bible? And you know, I, I've taught over and over again, every time we read something like this, always ask yourself, the first place to begin is, why is the story in the Bible? Because remember, right, the, 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 there's clear scriptures that teach if all of the works of Jesus had been written down, the, the earth's not big enough to contain the volumes. Now that's hyperbole, I get it. But the point is simply that Jesus did so much that is not recorded. So the few things that are recorded must have been important and put in there by the Holy Spirit because they have a significant value to our lives. So when you look at these stories, don't just think to yourself, hey, he, he was you know, in the mood to write that day. This is on purpose in here so that you and I are gaining something. So ask yourself, why is this story in the Bible? What does it teach us? Why is it there? What's it trying to communicate? So whenever you're thinking about that, the easiest way to do it is just to go backwards in time. What's written right before it to tell us what context is? Context is all three stories are about lost and find, lost and find. A person loses a sheep, leaves the 99, goes, gets the one, and then celebrates. A woman loses one of her coins and sweeps the house clean, looking diligently for it, finds it, and then celebrates. And this father loses a son, and the son comes home, and the father celebrates. It's about losing and finding and rejoicing when it's restored. So why is it in here? God is into restoration. Always remember that. If you ever doubt the heart of God, everything in it points to God wanting to put things back together. And his main point above everything else is that he wants to put you back together. And he wants you to be together with him. So in progression, just thinking about this real quickly and talking about the, the context of this, we start out with uh, one one hundred, and then it moves to one tenth, and then it goes clearly to one half, right? In progression of things lost and found. And the most significant, it begins with an animal and then with a coin, and now it goes to people. And so all of them are important, but the crowning one is God putting humanity back together with each other and back together with him. Why is this story in the Bible? Because God is into restoration, man. That's who he is. Jesus said that he doesn't do anything or say anything that he hasn't heard or seen the father doing. You want to know how the father feels? Look at Jesus. Everything Jesus teaches is the express heart of God being given to you and I on the earth. So when Jesus teaches a story that a kid is wandered away from God and done everything he can to mess up, and yet the father is waiting for him to come back home so he can put it back together, that's God. So how does God feel about you? And how does God feel about your kids? And how does God feel about this world? He's waiting, waiting to put things back together. Our job 
is to bear testament to the fact that God is wanting reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation, whereby we persuade people, be reconciled to God. That's our job. That's good news. And anything else is bad news. So why would we tell anybody anything else except that God is lavishly in love with you? Hmm. Yes, amen, Bob. Yes, amen. Both sons, in my mind, misjudged their father. Romans 12, 2 says to be renewed in your mind so that you can know God's will. You have to be renewed in your mind to know God's will. And by the way, it says God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. If you think anything else about the will of God, your mind has to be renewed. Did you just hear what I said? God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And if you think anything else about his will, it's the proof that your mind needs to be renewed. The number one place we need renewal in our thinking is how we think about God. It's the broken element. We tend to think that God is angry at us. God is judging us. God is against us. God is not for me. God is not with me. God is not operating on my behalf like he does for somebody else. God has left me. Or God is not faithful to what he said. That's a lie. And the enemy's a liar working overtime to disconnect you from the truth that the Father wants to reconcile you. And reconciliation is not only salvation, but it's how you live your life every day. You either live it as a son and a daughter engaged or a son and a daughter who's prodigal. And whether you go or whether you're in the house, it's where your heart is that matters. I'm teaching really good right now, so you ought to catch on. So let me give you three things about this story from the father's perspective that I think are cool. The first one is the father is a runner. He ran. And it teaches us a really awesome picture of God because God is always presented as dignified, gray beard, the God of ages, wisdom, right? The ancient of days. And here we also have that God is a pursuer, a runner. So it paints a picture, not of a father standing with his arms and his foot tapping. I knew you'd come back. It was just a matter of time. And what do you think you're gonna do now? Instead, I don't know, maybe he was pacing every day. Maybe when he got done with his chores or maybe before he headed out into the fields, maybe just take a look. I wonder if today's the day. Hmm. Man, I think I see, no, uh uh-uh, no. Huh, over there? Well, no. How... Week after week, month after month, somehow the father's love never diminished in the length of time that the son is away from hope. So every day he's looking, hoping, is today the day? And it paints a picture of how God is in your life. God will let you go and do what you want to do. He's a gentleman. He gives you free will and he gives you choice. Connie, you can go do whatever you want to do and God won't stop you. But if you make one move back to him, he will run to you. He will come after you. He, he, like a metal to magnet, boom, he's to you. He didn't deny, I, that, the part that I can't understand in the story, the son, before you die, give me what I want. Okay, I, I don't get that. It's beyond my, I love him, but not like that. You're gonna wait till I'm dead. So it paints a picture in my mind of the father heart of God. And if it paints a picture of the father heart of God, listen to this, then it gives us an example of how to love when we're fathers. 
and when we're mothers. What I did not get from a father who ever pursued me. I never had one that was looking. I never had one that was watching. I never had one who cared. It was not a woe is me or feel bad for me because what I didn't get by pedigree, I totally got in the God of the universe coming after me. He didn't let me go my way. He didn't let the enemy have me. He didn't let the earth have me. He didn't let time and situations and, you know, all the things that came against me have me. God was looking for me. And the moment I looked to him, he ran. And the great pursuit began. And I've never turned away. Oh my goodness, I've never turned away. It engaged me at such a level. Something about, you know, I, when you grow up with this and you've never known anything else, what a powerful testimony that is to never have to go and do anything else. Like, this is it. My whole life I served God. I don't have that one. I didn't know him as a kid. I was a young adult when I found God or when he found me. Say it however you want to say it. But man, once he engaged me, I never had to wonder what it would have been like growing up some other way. He pulled me out of that. So I never wanted to go back to that. And maybe that's the, the, the part of my testimony that I can say that was better than someone who didn't. Now, my children never knew any other part of that. And thank God for that. Thank God that that's what I could pass on to them. But in me, when he ran to me, I never went the other direction. It, it, it engaged my heart. It captivated me. And the father runs. I love that. So it teaches us then how to be fathers, how to be mothers, how to be parents, how to treat our children. So here's the difference. I wrote down in my notes, there's a difference between waiting for and running to. Most parents are willing to wait for a kid, but it takes an awful good parent to run to a kid. What we usually want is show me that you're sorry. Show me that you repent. Show me that it's going to be different. And here our God, one look and he runs. I mean, did he know he was so broken that that's why he came home? So there was no need to hear the speech. Did he just know this is how good it is? So we ran to, I don't, I don't know that part of it. All I know, you make one move towards him and he will run to you. So if you sit here this afternoon and you're thinking, I don't know God that way, make one move towards him. I dare you. Yes. A double dog dare you, man. <laughs> Do it. Yes. Sit there and quit giving excuses and quit thinking you've got to go through this or go do that or take care of this. Make one move to him and find out how good his love is. Amen. Let it captivate your heart. Hmm. The second one that I love from the father's point of view is that the father loves to celebrate. We miss that somewhere in church today. Worship, man, should be so celebratory. Worship should not be the time where you come in and remind yourself of all the things you've done wrong all week and how sorry you are. Worship should be the time where you come in and the first thing that you do is celebrate the fact that God's run to you. Walking in that door, he's run to you. Opening your eyes, he runs to you in the morning. This is the time to come together with other people that God is running after and talk about how good our God is. Jump for him, yell to him, shout to him, celebrate to him. Quit acting like you're at a funeral and act like it's the greatest celebration that's ever happened for you, man. Come on. Well, I just wasn't raised that way. I, what is it about going to a sporting event that allows people who weren't raised that way to be that way? What is that? 
And then we go, well, those two things are separate. Totally. Because this thing that we celebrate with a horse (laughs) is really not that great. (laughs) And this thing that we celebrate that's the lion of the tribe of Judah is eternal, man. Get your priorities right and go after it and quit. Just come on. So listen, the father is a celebrator. (laughs) I I was just writing down in the Bible, all through the Feast of Tabernacles, the marriage supper of the lamb, joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Joy in heaven over one. In other words, heaven needs little, little excuse to get excited. (laughs) Think about that. It's not like, hey, when a hundred of you come in, then the, what, it literally says when one sinner repents, there's joy explosion in heaven. The angels begin to celebrate. Can you imagine? Ah, and what, so, so what are we waiting? Well, like when I get to heaven, I'll do it. No, 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 no. Celebrate now. God is into celebrating. I, I would say if I could choose like, uh, what it were to look like for us in the next one, two, three years, the celebration of what God is going to do in our community and in our world and believing that our best days are in front of us, not behind us, then there's cause to celebrate right now. And somehow we're so caught, man, the enemy just works overtime constantly to, to, to disengage us from celebration. No, 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 be engaged to fear. No, 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 be engaged to worry. No, 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 be engaged to a disease. No, 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 be engaged to the God of the universe. That's what you want to be. To start your day that way. Let your mind go after those things. Imagine what that would be like instead of fear, 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 fear. Man. Mm. The outcome of all three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, the outcome in all three stories is celebration. Why is that in there? Because God loves to celebrate. And I think that God loves when we celebrate. And somewhere the enemy has stolen that from the church. The world gets celebrate and the church doesn't. And the church needs a restoration of joy and of celebration, man. We need a restoration of that, a revival of joy. Yes. A revival of joy. Do you ever get the picture that I have great joy when I'm up here teaching? Yes. I love, I just, it's joyful to me. I love it. I'll read verse 22 through 24, show that real quick. So his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. All right, so what this represents, right, is the robe is only for the family. The servants don't wear the robe. So this is family. He's still family. He hasn't given up the right to be family. He's still my child. Yep, he went the wrong way. It's funny how the father never mentions any of those things. Only that he was lost and now that he's found. Doesn't go into detail about what it means to be lost. Just, hey, bring the robe. And then a ring, which is the signet ring, which is now reserved for children. And then sandals. So servants didn't wear sandals, but children wore sandals. So all of it is to point to sonship, to being a child or a daughter. They belong to me. I restore them. I don't just take them back in like they escape through a fire to come back, but I restore everything that the devil took from them or the things that they were profligate in in their own lives. That's a powerful thought that what you wasted, God's willing to give back to you. 
not just what was stolen from you, but what you weigh. And I don't know why we have such trouble with because I think we tend to think, yeah, but then people are gonna go out and think they can get away with things. So I, I would say to you, people won't really stop doing those things till they realize heaven's better. God's better. The, the, the grace is better than the law. So quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must, what's the word? Celebrate. With a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the party began and should be continuing today. This party was never supposed to end. It's not time really to teach on the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I, I guess I'll give it away real quick. Uh, we're gonna, we used to celebrate Feast of Tabernacles for years and years, and then it got out of control. And honestly, it's what it's the last one that we did was at Douglas County Event Center. There's like 3,000 people there, and it was just, it was out of control, man. It just, it got to the level where I, I, the staff needed a break from it. It's like we did. So we laid it down and just said, okay, God, if you want to revive this, we'll revive it. And if not, maybe it just needs to rest fallow for a little while and regain its steam. So this year, so we planned this last year before knowing how things were going to work out in the fall. But this fall at Feast of Tabernacles, we're celebrating Feast of Tabernacles again. And, and. My pastor, John Stocker, is coming to teach at our Feast of Tabernacles, which is the guy that taught me these things to begin with. Yeah, it's going to be, and if you've not heard him, you will love how he teaches about Israel, man. It's, it's awesome. But we'll celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast in the Bible that uh, they termed it an eight-day feast. How many days are in a week? There's only seven. So how can you have an eight-day feast? So, it's, what it, it's, a, it's a picture or a representation of a day unlike any other day. So a lot of scholars believe that it's Feast of Tabernacles time that Jesus will come to get the church. And that that eighth day celebration, the feast that has no end, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That when we go into the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's a feast that begins without end. And that what we will do is celebrate who Jesus is and how awesome our God is. So the fun thing is that the only feast, the only feast that's commanded to be kept even in the new covenant is the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you look at Zechariah, which is prophetic, speaking of the time when Jesus returns and reigns upon the earth, the only feast that the world still keeps at that time, it says that all the nations of the earth will go up to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. What is that? It's that eight-day celebration to talk about God, right? So, so, so Feast of Trumpets, we spend that time in mourning. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, we're forgiven. And then after that begins Tabernacles to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And somewhere the church is still living in the day of atonement rather than in the Feast of Tabernacles. I just said something really good to you right there. I don't know if you caught it. So uh, the third one from the father's point of view is that the father restores. All stories are about restoration. Verse 32, let's pull it up. So we had to celebrate this happy day. We had to, we had no choice for your brother was dead and has now come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The father is a restorer and he wants to restore you. So let me just quickly talk about the difference between forgiveness and restoration. Forgiveness is to allow someone to be released, right? I forgive you. But forgiveness, I think what we say, is, I will forgive, but I won't. 
Restoration adds the element of, I'd let you do it to me again. Let me come over here and say it. So <laughs> forgiveness is I'll forgive, but I won't. Restoration adds that element to it. I will forgive and I will forget so that even if you decided you could do that to me again, I'd let you do it to me again. Now we struggle with that in the natural, but God doesn't struggle with that. So it's almost like a setup that I love you and I know there'll be times where you struggle, but I restore you every time. I offer to you every time. So I just said this, the difference between repentance and restoration then. So forgiveness, I'll forgive, but I won't forget. Restoration is, I'll forgive and I forget. Repentance, because all of these stories, especially this one deals with, God is also into repentance real quickly. And the benefit of repentance is that when your heart is repentive, when it's broken, when you're in the place where you've come to your senses, that's what it means to repent. It means to change your mind. Repentance is not tears. It's not falling on your face. I know some people teach it means to go the opposite direction. Technically it's true, but it really means to come to your right mind. When a person repents, they come to their right mind. What am I doing out here in the world? What am I eating? Even the people who live at a distance in God's kingdom eat better than what I'm eating right now. And suddenly you have to be there. And I don't know how to explain that missing element. So this is where preaching then becomes so weak suddenly because if the Holy Spirit doesn't take it right now and boom, in your heart, this is what restoration is. This is what God wants. This is how God feels about you. All, now all of a sudden, everything I say becomes superfluous because I can't get you past the point of human knowledge. Only the Holy Spirit right now can take you into restoration, repentance, and that God wants to restore you to himself and to his family. Where are you at with this? So we listen to a guy up on a platform get excited about something he believes so desperately in, but where are you at and what will it take and how long will you live out there in the distance? And if I invited you to come home today, would you take the opportunity? But how can you unless you come to your senses? <laughs> so what would I ask? That you would come to your senses. That if you're living far away from God, you would realize he's looking. Look, for one minute, I'm not God, but I stand in a proxy position for a moment to facilitate his heart for you. In my eyes, he's looking right now. Do you want to come home? You tired of living out there? You going to let all the stuff stay between us? He knows everything and invites you home. He understands where your heart is, what you've done, all the things you've said, and he invites you home. Make one move to the Father and watch him run to you. I just can't be that good. <laughs> That's what makes it that good. No, in the natural, it's not. I can't explain it that way. I get it. And yet it's that good, that engaging, that important. That's God. And you rehearse your speech. I've sinned against God. And I don't deserve this. And before you can finish it, he cuts you off. Get their robe. Get their ring. Kill the fatted calf. We celebrate. Because my child who was lost is now found. It's the difference between death and life. 
what a great honor it is to preach that gospel. And why would you resist it? What has bewitched you? Do you know that's what Ephesians says? You've been bewitched. It's almost though a spell fell on you. It's pulled you from where you were supposed to be going. I'm speaking to somebody right now. he invited you home, would you say yes? Hmm. Rebecca had mentioned that she came and had talked about her time in prayer earlier this week. And she said, I just, not knowing what the notes were, said, I've been praying for restoration for the father's heart. I mean, yeah, she knew the title, but she didn't know what the notes were. And when I hear things like that, I know the Holy Spirit is coordinating something. So in worship, I'm like, God, wake me from my sleep and don't let me be in a stupor when I get up there to preach. Let me be able to speak just directly to somebody, any person, God, who this is the moment and the time. And don't let me shirk back right now. So forgive me for wandering for just a second, but I just was under this thing where the Holy Spirit was like, shake yourself out of the stupor, man. I've got to use you tonight. So I don't know who I'm talking to right now. And when I get in these places, I'm like staring all over, trying to catch somebody's eye. But I know he loves you. I know he cares for you and I know that he offers to you mercy and not judgment and restoration and not divorce. What's impossible with man is totally possible with God. Would you pray with me? It's Father. Lord, whatever, however, it's yours. Holy Spirit, it, it must be such an important moment to the Father right now that he's sort of like just constrained me to not just go right to communion. And I'm, I'm, I'm searching my mind right now like, God, is there anything specific that you want me to say? So I just, um, I, I guess the invitation and just to be direct with you, if you feel far away from God, that's not what he wants. Maybe like one of those sons, you misjudged him. Maybe you thought he didn't care or maybe you just thought you'd have more fun doing it your way. Maybe there was just something you felt like you had to experience. I don't know, it doesn't matter. 
It just comes down to this. Do you need that restoration? Do you need that reconciliation? It's a choice that we all, we all have to make. And when you choose not to decide, you make a choice. And so, you know, I'm not going to put a context to it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask if you just need God to restore. You just need God. Maybe it's a sense of hope or maybe it's a sense of family or maybe it's just to be connected to his love. I, I, I don't know, but you know, you know. And if that's like where it's at and you just go, pastor, you're putting your finger on it and I just need God, I need God to do this in my life. Just slip your hand up for me right now. It's gonna pray for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's just going to take anybody else just want me to pray for you. Just put your hand up. Yep, 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 yep. You can put them back down. There's many of us. So Father, I think in my mind, I come with the idea of salvation. And yet I know God's salvation is all encompassing. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It's all of our life. It's how you put together fractured hearts. It's how you bring together purpose. It's how you set minds free from the deception of the enemy and from the trap that people stand in. And we don't see ourselves in a trap. That's what makes deception so powerful. But right now, Lord, as you make things clear, you open our eyes, we come to our senses. For every person who says, I need God to do this in my life, do it, God. Do it. Father, break the power of the enemy right now. Break the spell break the charm, break, break whatever that trap is. In the name of Jesus, break that trap right now. Break that deception. In the name of Jesus right now. No longer is it effective. No longer will it, will it render a person in a stupor and in a place of being deceived and seeing something as though it were there and it's really not. God, let all those things drop to the ground right now and let God be God. Father, be mighty. Run. Run, God. Run, Father. Not that I can command you in any way, but just what you do. Run to your people, God. Draw them to yourself. Rescue them, Father. Reunite them. Reconcile them right now. God, thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your mercy. I pray it in Jesus' name.